Our reading is from the letter to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us into shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And we thank God for his word. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, we can say here I am. We are humbled before your majesty, and so we look to you. We want to listen to you. We want to learn from you. We want to be changed by you. Grant us then as we open your word that we may be aware of your Holy Spirit and his truth that you will grant us to know your presence in your word and your authority as we listen. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Making up after you've fallen out is something that comes as a huge relief. In our fallen world, Broken relationships are all too common. They're always painful, and sometimes they're disastrous. People falling out happen in the playground. They happen in the home. They happen in the workplace. They happen in families. They even happen in churches. We've all known what it is to fall out with people and felt the pain of it. That's why coming back together again is such a blessing. It's such a relief. And we call it reconciliation. It's where people who were enemies are brought together again. They become friends instead of being enemies. Now, whatever the cause and whoever's fault it was, they can now face the future together because they've been reconciled. At a personal level, 
Reconciliation means a kind of peace instead of what was a kind of war. Now tonight we're going to see that reconciliation as a picture of something even more wonderful and even greater joy, the fruit of what the Lord Jesus Christ has achieved for us on the cross. For he reconciled not people to people, but people with God, restoring that fatal breakdown in relationship between the Creator God and the people he had made, the people who have now turned back to him and found, instead of personal rebellion, a reconciliation with him. As we've been reminded, this is the last in a short series on the glory of the cross, what the Lord Jesus Christ achieved by his sufferings and death on Calvary. He's done that for those rebel sinners who have turned back to him and found their peace in him. We've seen justification and adoption and redemption and so this evening we come to the subject of reconciliation. Please open if your Bible please at Romans chapter 5 because we're going to look at particularly the last few verses that were read to us verses 10 and 11 of Romans chapter 5. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the, the subject, that's the text, reconciliation. The Apostle Paul has been explaining in these early parts of the letter to the Romans the gospel and its consequences through the death of Christ. If you look at the beginning of chapter 5, the heading in the NIV is called Peace and Joy. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's see what reconciliation is all about. I want to look at it uh, this evening through just three features of reconciliation. First of all, that reconciliation is about God's love for people. Then that reconciliation is God's work through Christ. And then, as we'll see in these verses, that reconciliation is something to be celebrated. Something to be celebrated. Let's begin then. Reconciliation is about God's love for people. You see, God loves the people that he created. The Bible is a big love story. It begins by telling us about the God whose nature is love. His essential nature is love. And whilst it's very hard for us 
to understand how there can be three persons in one God, what we can see in the Bible is that those three persons are united in love. They love each other. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. They love each other because they cannot help but be loving. That's the nature of God. They shared the same purpose in creating people to love and to be loved. Now the Genesis story blows our minds, doesn't it? As we see something of the majesty of all that God was able to create, the vast universe in distances that our minds can't contain. The earth and all the wonder that's in the earth. We've had television recently giving us the most glorious pictures of of how God has created this earth on which we live, not just the mountains and the oceans, but the vegetation and the creatures. Television brings all those things near to us, doesn't it, and reminds us that, that this is the thing that God has created. These are the things that God has created, the work of his fingers, as the Bible says. But the climax of God's creation is to make people, to make Man, the human race, Adam and Eve. And one of the blind mistakes of the generation in which we live is those people who are trying to tell us that human nature, we are just like the animals. They use this horrible phrase about men being naked apes. They're blind, aren't they, to the fact that when God made people, he made us something unique. He breathed into Adam and Eve, that they could be living souls, that they are people to be loved. And he loves the people that he made. That's why God made us. But another thing that we learn about in Genesis is that when God made us, he made us for relationships. That's what being human is about. You remember he said, in the, in the gen- book of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. And that wasn't merely in respect of giving him Eve, but because mankind was told to replenish the earth, to fulfill his purposes. And God made us for families and for communities, for people that related together. As a result of that, We all know something of the sadness and sometimes the tragedy of loneliness when those relationships are broken and when people no longer feel that togetherness which is part of why we were made. The happy loner is really quite an exception in our life, isn't it? Now it occurred to me when I was thinking about this that this is why So many people, and I'm told it's mostly younger people, but not only, who are obsessed with the social media. What do they want in these social media things? What are they doing as they want to relate to one another? It's to have friends, isn't it? And they count up how many hundreds and thousands of friends they have. And they want to send their pictures to each other. And what is it they want? They want to be liked. You see, that's part of human nature. We want to be liked. We want to be so because we are made for relationships. 
And when you look at the way in which the media portrays people, they're portrayed together. The adverts are all about families eating together, aren't they? The cooking store programs are all about people feeding with one another. And the ideal is that people should live happily together every ever after. This is because God made us for relationships. It's inbuilt into our nature. And the staggering thing about the Bible's love story is that God who loves us making us people and made us for relationships still loves us even when we turn away from him that's what this gospel is telling us about the tragic story of Adam and Eve is that when God made them and put them in the garden and gave them each other and gave them his presence and manifest itself and his love to them they rebelled against him they listened to the devil's lies you know one of the things that uh, open air preachers find is that uh, people who uh, are trying to get one over them will sometimes say You know, there's not one true word in the Bible. If anybody says to you, there's not one true word in the Bible, you must tell them about Adam and Eve and about sin. Because the story of what happened to Adam and Eve turning against God is what explains why the world is in the mess it's in. While human relationships are so fragile, why they do break down, it's because human nature made for God has turned against him. Now the language even this text uses is strong language. It says that we have become God's enemies. People say, you can't really say that. I mean, I I know there's a God and uh, uh, some people believe in him, but I don't have any particular feelings against him. We are God's enemies when he says, I am your maker, listen to me. I am showing you the best way to live. Why don't you heed this? He gave his loving purposes to the people he made. And tragically, it's not just Adam and Eve, but all mankind since, and we ourselves have sinned against him. We are called rebels. The language that's used in this, te- in this text says that we have hostility against him. And that's why so many people now believe that they should have autonomy and do whatever they like. It's, it's personal freedom. It's doing what I think is best for me. That's what it's all about because they no longer want to know that they owe anything to God. They're enemies of God. And one of the sad things of a generation that's been brought up to believe that humankind somehow came into being accidentally is that it takes away from us the reality of this God who made us for himself and gives us his love and purposes. And tragically, we have rebelled against him. But please look at your Bible, will you? Look at Romans 5 and see what it says here. This is verse 6. You see, 
at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone live for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Despite our selfish choices, despite our attitudes and our actions, he loves us. The words used in these texts are strong. We're powerless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're enemies. And yet, God's love means that he took the initiative. He took the first step to reconcile us to himself. How can this possibly be? That a just God, a righteous God, a God who hates sin... How could he show his love to sinners and reconcile them? Well, the answer, as we know clearly from these verses, is reconciliation is God's work through Christ. It's through Christ who dealt with the basic problem. Verse 10, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Yes, it was Christ who bore the punishment we deserved, who took away our guilt. We've already seen in the messages about justification and atonement how what verse 9 tells us here is that we're saved from God's wrath through him. Saved from the wrath of God against sin through Christ. But I want you to see something more here this evening. And that is, that that's not only our basic problem. It's not basically the problem only about our relationship with God's anger against sin. There's another problem. And that's our hostility to God. Enemies that we didn't love God. We weren't pleased with all that he was and all that he did. And as powerless and ungodly enemies, there is this subjective problem. Yes, the objective problem of dealing with God's wrath is dealt with on the cross. But how about our hostility to God? How is that dealt with? Well... The answer is once again in what we see here about the death of his son. Because what happens in dealing with our hostility is gratitude. When we see what Christ has done on the cross, when we believe that what he did is not merely for the world but for me, It changes us. It's what changes our hard heart from being a rebel against God to want to love him and want to be changed in our attitude towards him. We cannot see and trust the cross of Jesus Christ without loving him 
<coughs> because he first loved us. There's only two scriptures I want you to look up this evening. The first of them is in John's letter, 1 John chapter 4. You're familiar with this, aren't you? 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But run down to verse 19. Look at what verse 19 says. We love because he first loved us. When we see how he loved us in giving his son for us, when we see the power of the cross to deal with our guilt and our punishment, when we see that he did that for love for us personally, then that's what gives us a new heart. That's what changes our hostility to be one of gratitude and praise and love for him. I've got to ask you tonight, do you know that? Is that what you feel about the cross? Is that what you understand the cross to mean? Yes, it did something vital in relation to God and his wrath against us, but it's done something in our hearts as we see God's work through Christ. I want you to look at verse 10, however, because it tells us something further. Verse 10 says, If when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's talked already about his death. Now he's saying, through his life. The Christ who died on the cross was raised to life again on resurrection morning. The love of Jesus is not merely what he did all those years ago on the cross. It's what he now means to us as he saves us through his life. How much more, he says here, because there's something more in the fact that the the Saviour who died now lives. And where does he live? Yes, he lives in heaven, but he now lives in our hearts. He's come to live in us. What's changed us, what's taken away our animosity, our hostility, is that the Jesus who loved us on the cross loves us now in our lives. He guides us, he keeps us, he sustains us. So it means that despite all the problems we face, despite all our failures, despite all our disappointments, despite the many things that go wrong in the Christian life, we are being saved through his life. The Bible talks about our union with Christ. The Christ of the cross is the Christ of the resurrection and the Christ who lives today and who lives in his people. 
That's why in verse 2 he can talk about the hope of the glory of God. He's looking forward into the Romans, isn't he? He's talking about the future glory that we share with him. How can we possibly do that? How can it happen to people like us? Because we have the life of Christ in us. Reconciliation is the beginning of this new relationship reaching forward into the eternal kingdom. And how? It's through his life. Can you see then why this second point is so important? That reconciliation is received only through Christ. The tragedy of broken relationships, and we see this all too often, isn't it? when both parties dig their heels in and neither of them is going to buzz. Neither is willing to make the first move. We call it stalemate because there's nothing that can happen. And as a pastor, I've had to face so many of these problems in the past where things are going wrong and you go to talk to one and they blame the other. And you go to talk to the other one and they blame the first one. And then they're blaming each other and no one will take any move and so you don't get anywhere. The glory of the gospel is that God made the first move. God came in Christ and sent his son to achieve what we could not do. He dealt with the problem of our sin. He dealt with the matter of atonement, so that we are justified, there is redemption, and these are only through Christ. And now we see that it's also only through Christ that that hardest part of all, perhaps, dealing with our hard hearts, and the fact that we didn't want him, is dealt with only through Christ. You see, it's only those people who see the cross of Jesus as having meaning for them individually. And those personally who can say thank you to God for what he did. Only those people are going to say, I now love this God. I want to give my life to him. I want to serve him. I want to sacrifice myself for him. Are we humbled by his majesty? Yes, when we see what he's done for us in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in God's people, changing us when we see that all this was done at the cross and only when we see It was done for us at the cross. Now come back to verse 11. Because there's something more. Not only is this so, but also. What is this also? Well, he said, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 has used the same word. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. The word boast in the original language, Greek language, is an interesting one. Uh, It's translated several different ways, even in the NIV. 
and some of you have other translations at home, and uh, if you look at some of those translations, you'll find that the word boast is translated in some places, rejoice in, in some places, glory in. One translation has, it, we are sing praising to God, and another translation has celebrating, and that's the one I like and I want to, to focus on as we draw these things to apply them to ourselves this evening, to celebrate. Reconciliation is something to be celebrated, to be boasted about. Now, first of all, it's to be celebrated before God. It says here, we boast in God. This love story, this personal story of the Bible, means that aware of our own fault and seeing what God has done to bring this about means that we're reconciled to him. Now, when people fall out and then come together, they not only embrace, they want to spend time together again, don't they? They want to be with each other. When they'd been fallen apart, they weren't even communicating. But now they're back together, they're going to spend time together, aren't they? And that's what reconciliation means as we celebrate before God. We want to spend time with God. That's where real prayer starts, isn't it? That's when we want to talk to him. That's when we want to listen to him. There's something about worship here, isn't there? There's something about the motivation for our worshipping God. Because we're celebrating what God has meant and what he now means to us as we love him, because he first loved us. That's why we want to sing his praises. That's why we want to join with other people in corporate worship. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, Isaac Watts says. But children of the heavenly king must speak their joys abroad. Why do we want to worship God? Because we see how he loved us and reconciled us in Christ. Let me put this challenge to you then. We don't always feel like praying, do we? We don't always feel like worshipping. It may not just be a snowy morning that keeps you away from coming to church. It may be what you've been through in the week and the kind of pressures you're facing. What do we do when we we feel like that? What is it going to, to make us really want to come and spend time with God. It's the cross. It's remembering what he's done for us. It's remembering that not only has he saved us through from God's wrath, but he's reconciled us, and his life is now in us, and we can glory in, rejoice in, celebrate through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have Look at the word, now, received reconciliation. That now is a present now. It's the now of today. Then this celebration has got to be before other people as well. I told you there's two verses to look up. We've looked at one, John. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17. 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This celebration must be before other people. You see, nobody boasts on their own. You boast before other people, don't you? We celebrate what God has done for us when we see that our friends, despite what they may say, are God's enemies. There's hostility in their heart against him. The tragedy of our families is that we love our families. We're so grateful for them. They're good to us. But if they're God's enemies, we have a message for them, don't we? And it's no use our saying, oh, isn't it wonderful? God loves me when I see that they need his love too. My friends, there's a challenge in this, isn't it? We often talk about the ministry of Long Crendon Baptist Church being to win other people for Christ. But do we leave it to other people? Do we, do we say, well, that's for others to do? The us in this text, he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation of those who are already reconciled. To those who are reconciled, he gives the message and the ministry of reconciliation for others. We must be asking ourselves, what does it mean to me? How is this challenging me about whether I'm in the world as one who simply enjoys what the cross meant to me without having any concern for those who are still God's enemies. But one third challenge that's here, this is to be celebrated also in our relationships. There's a wonderful success story in the New Testament. The New Testament church did something that all the history of generations in the Old Testament could not achieve. And sadly, what in our generation is still not achieved. Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians about the problem of Jews and Gentiles. Now what happened in the Gospel? Well, it's clear from Ephesians 2.16, God's purpose was in one body to reconcile both of them Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. If they were able to see Jews and Gentiles reconciled together in the church, my friends, this is very challenging to us. We've got all kinds of differences in churches, haven't we? We've got differences of age and of background and education and culture and sometimes race. And what is the glory of the church? 
is it brings together in one family God's people. We are to be peacemakers. But we don't always get this right. Sadly, there are occasions even in the life of the church where people fall out and for whatever reason they find it easier to go to another church than to stay together and have their problems dealt with. This is very sad. You see, we're supposed to be a witness to the world, aren't we? We're supposed to be showing to the world what the world cannot do in reconciling people with each other. We can do by the grace of God and the power of his spirit. Perhaps there are some issues even in our fellowship that we've got to revisit and think about if we're going to be celebrating this reconciliation in our relationships. I must conclude. Reconciliation is not an end in itself. It is a step on a vital journey. Peter writes, Christ suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The purpose and the end of reconciliation is that we might be together with God, that we might know him, that we might trust him, that we might enjoy him, that we might serve him, that we shall do so now and do so in eternity. That's the glory of what Christ achieved on the cross. And it's not merely that what he did is in his work, but in the person whom we now love as our friend. Reconciliation is ours in Christ. If we lack this assurance, if we're not sure about what that means for us, there's one place for us to go, isn't it? It's to go back to the cross and see him, the Saviour, dying the just for the unjust to bring us to God. Reconciliation is one step on a vital journey to bring us the relief, the joy, the boasting, the celebration that all begins at the cross. Let's spend a moment in prayer together. Our Lord and God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. We thank you that he's been raised to life to live for us and to live in us. We thank you that we are reconciled by the death of your Son and saved today through his life. Help us, Lord, to face the challenge of our personal worship at times when we don't feel a bit like it. Help us, Lord, in our concern for those who are our friends but still your enemies. Help us, Lord, to face the challenge of our example 
in demonstrating healing relationships in a broken world. Lord, grant us this grace as we together we look back to the cross of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. We love you because you first loved us. Amen.